Hello. 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 Hello, Chris. Hello. I'm Grant Howitt. I've mentioned this one's Chris, but what's its full name? Christopher Taylor. Christopher Edward Taylor. That is correct. And we are, we are, I'm hoping you know by now that we are the Hearty Dice Friends. And we have a podcast just for you. Well, anyone anyone else listens to it as well, but this one's just for you. Just for everyone. Just for everyone. Although not for everyone, because it has a very niche topic, which is role-playing advice. Sort of. Well, sort of. Like, it's role-playing advice that we've given. <laughs> so, it's not even useful role-playing advice. Now, now, I think you do us a disservice. Some of it is very useful. I think I think if, like, I think you, you could apply a percentage to the level of advice we give that's useful, and it's under half. 50. Percent. That's how halves work. <laughs> <laughs> Roughly that number, yes. Yeah, give it Somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Talking of role-playing advice, do you want to just leap in with a question? Oh, I was going to do some sort of intro, but should we should, should we skip that bullshit? No, you could do an intro if you want. Oh, well, 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 have you got any concepts for an intro? No. No. I've only just woken up. What is your favourite kind of elf? Favourite kind of elf? Pointy yeah. ears? That sort of elf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point- oh, I mean, like... Like if, if if you've got other kinds of elf you want to you want to put the table put them forward but um, I, I do like drow. I figure we're going dark, high, wood, I, snow, snow, sea, <laughs> Christmas elf. Chris, that's a that's that's I mean that's more of an elf than snow and sea. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure there were snow elves in D and D at some point. I don't see why not, but no, I think I think drow are my favourites. I like high elves. The snooty ones. The snooty ones, because they're posh. And they have they have a once per encounter teleport in 4th Ed, which just says so much about Eladrin culture. Yeah. That they just teleport everywhere, because they can do it once per scene. Just, why walk? Yeah, why walk? I, I guess unless you were some sort of like exciting high elf rebel. <laughs> Very anti, anti-establishment. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to walk between these two places, thank you. Whoa! Let's answer those questions then. Now, now we've had that brilliant intro about elves. Why don't you ask me a question? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll start with a bit of a strange one. Mm-hmm. This is from John. Hi, John. Who says, this might not be one for the podcast. Unlucky, looks like it is. Mm. But what do your respective families think about your job? Mum thinks well of me. <laughs> <laughs> mum mum supports me and is keen to see me do well. Dad has been convinced that if I just stopped with all this bloody game malarkey, um, then perhaps I might cheer up, get, a, get over my depression and make more friends. Since I've been about 14. So my career has been a continual source of disappointment and or confusion to my father. <laughs> <laughs> You've done very well in your job. And yet, uh, and yet, and yet, you see, like I'm not, I'm not super like bothered about my father's approval, but I would like it if Dad could understand what I did, at least tried. Like I think, I think that if I asked Dad to explain my own job back to me, he'd he'd come up dumbfounded. You make Monopoly, but you make it <laughs> rubbish. Like, like. It, he said, "You know, I've seen this. Uh, I've seen this J.K. Rowling character. She was writing these Harry Potter books. Why don't you just do something like that?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dad. Oh, why don't knock I? that out of the park? Yeah, unlock yeah, one up in the car on the way back to the airport. Great idea, Dad. See you next year. If only. How about your parents? They're just fascinated. I'm doing something. There is that. I think. Yeah, and actually earning money for it. Yeah, but so no, my, just, my my parents at least understand role playing games. They have both played in the distant history. Yeah, that's I mean I, that's um that's something because like, I gave my mum a copy of what well, sorry my mum bought a copy of Goblin Quest, my first book, and it was expressly written for children. She hit page four and then gave up because it was too complicated. <laughs> it's like most of those four pages were just drawings of goblins that my friends did. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how simple I can make it, Mum. It's, it's. It's. I mean, it's not exactly rocket science, is it? Well, it's the thing. Like my mum and dad had like job jobs. Like dad used to manage hotels, and mum. Mum was a. Uh, she was a uh, like a special needs support teacher. 
right. back in the day. Like job jobs. Yeah, like but, difficult but, jobs. What's the, I said those things. Oh, I don't know how difficult being a hotel manager is. Dad pulled it off. But you get... <laughs> ouch. Ouch. But you get... Um, you knew you knew what both of those jobs were without me having to explain. Well, what a special needs teacher does. Yeah. Um, whereas I say I'm a game designer. Oh, my kids love Minecraft. Do they? Great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not making Minecraft. I'm making what? far less money than Minecraft. <laughs> Whatever the opposite of Minecraft is. <laughs> I am not worth eight billion saying I'm... snarky and, and problematic things on Twitter. I am. I am worth no money, and I make hugely inaccessible games. Which are not which are not making our children's uh, our, our nation's children better. No. What about your extended family? Do they do you ever talk, chat about that with them? Kind of like my my extended family are all gamers to some degree, even if it's only oh, board wow. games. Oh, that's great. Okay. Um, like my father's side is very very board gamey. Oh, that's that must be quite nice. Yeah. So they they even if they're not into it, they get they, it. Yeah, so which is which is really satisfying when I go. Oh, I've got a new bucket, and they go, "Oh, that must have been difficult." Uh-huh. Yeah, yes, it was. Rather than, oh, I see you're not on the New York Times bestsellers list. Like when when we go when we, when we went out for Christmas, they'd gotten um a, a, like a a hamper almost of board games from a friend oh, for Christmas. Oh, that's nice. And like, let's play a game. And I was like, okay, we're looking for something kind of quick, and they pull yeah. out two board, two two games. Mm-hmm. Now, bearing in mind, there's an eight-year-old and a thirteen-year-old oh, in Jesus. this. What'd you get? Yeah, one of the one of them was a set of exploding kittens. Okay, and the other okay. was Cards Against Humanity. That's a problem. Right, you're going to want to put you're going to want to put that black box away for now, yeah. at least. Yeah, that's not that's not an eight-year-old. Fr- I mean, it's very eight-year-old friendly in one way because all the jokes <laughs> in there are something which an eight-year-old would appreciate. Yeah, but also. We're going to run into some speed bumps along yeah, the way, yeah, especially, especially like there's, so. Listen, there's a lot of jokes about having sex with children in there, and is that is that a chat you've had with your eight year old? Yeah, is that is that is that a talk you really want to have right now does over Christmas child, dinner? Does your child know who Jimmy Savile is, and do you want them to learn? Oh. Yeah. Um. So we had some really good games for exploding kittens. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fun fun little game, exploding kittens. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you a question because ask this was question. This, this was fairly, this fairly mundane as far as answers go. Well, I'm sorry. That's okay. How do you deal with character death in your games? Asked by I walked east on Reddit. Uh, rarely. Mm. I'm I'm not a very lethal GM. No, it's boring when people die too often. I generally give them outs. Mm. Um, I've had a couple of character deaths, uh, mainly in Cthulhu, that sort of thing. Hmm. The more lethal settings, yeah. Um, and there, what I normally do is give them give them a last hurrah. Yeah, let them do something exciting. Yeah, give them, give them something out of the death, mm. um, and then sit with them for twenty minutes while we work out how the hell you insert a new character into an <laughs> ongoing Call of Cthulhu campaign where there's a mystery and you've solved a lot of clues. <laughs> they really do need you to do that a lot in, in Call of Cthulhu, don't they? Yeah, they like. Um, Trail of Cthulhu talks really nicely about it and how you should have an organisation. You should send back your mm. journals to a family member. Yeah. You know, that to try and keep it running and to keep some continuity going. Because otherwise, it's just a nightmare. Like, hello, I'm Brian. Oh, we, we, we don't know you, Brian. No, you don't. Can I come on your adventure? I suppose so, yeah. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. I'll be in the back. You've got very similar skills to your uh, to your late father. Mm-hmm. He taught me. <laughs> You're just wearing his monogram pyjamas. We share the same name. <laughs> Co-winky-dink. Co-winky-dink. I think that character death is one of the least... One of the most boring ways you can get taken out of a campaign. I think that we we operate in... in, um, in especially looking at things from an old school point of view, that they're like... <clears throat> you can always keep trying on things. And you, you can always um, escalate to violence. And so, really, the only way to stop players is to kill them. Generally, and I think that if we if we think of um, other oh, systems of let's say like like hit point damage, like accruing setbacks, accruing fallout, accruing problems, then there are lots of different ways in which you can say like oh this, like this character's out of the game. Let's see, let, let's say why. So like I lose my hit points. It's not that I bleed to death, but I'm like I lost all my hit points. Fuck this. 
I'm going I'm home. I'm, I'm actually I'm going to go farm goats. And like at that point, you get to like have your character still exist. They're just not part of the story anymore. And then you can go and visit them later, and they've got a goat farm. Yeah, you know. And like video games taught us that that being out of a scene is the most boring thing possible. Like because yeah. in video games you've got mechanics like stuns, where well, like, you uh, lose control like, of your character and it's just tedious. Like skip a go. In, yeah, and in, in any in any game, no one wants to skip goes. Nobody wants to skip goes, and that's that's what death is essentially. Yeah. It's skip a couple of scenes while you quickly write out a new character. There was there was a rule, by the way, in in um in the new edition of Paranoia, which I managed to just sort of fuck off to one side for a bit, which had a player character stunned for d six turns. Oh no! <laughs> so, like what? I mean, this is Paranoia as well, so they're dead if you're stunned for d six turns. But just just kill them. That seems more polite. Yeah, rather than just say, well, you get to do nothing about yeah. anything for six yeah. turns. Yeah. Skipping and go is almost invariably terrible. Um, and character death is very much the biggest skipping the go you can. I think, like, like if, if you, like, as with anything, if you can take it as an opportunity to push to push the story forward, so to learn something, to illustrate something else about the setting, to, um, on, on that last hurrah, you know, like, um, Achieving something dangerous, and also it depends on your system. Yeah, but I mean, when you're playing D and D and you're up against six ghouls, yeah, and they paralyze you, yeah, and you're like, well, oh. you guys best. Oh no, you're you're paralyzed. You're paralyzed too. Oh, I'm full of ghoul eggs. Uh, <laughs> clutches. Yeah, um, I think that you should um, refer to Dungeon World. Which is an excellent mechanic for this, in that in, in, in that the first time you die, uh, you you make a deal with a god, and or like or or something along those lines, and you get and then you get sent back in with a mission, mm. uh, and similarly they have it in oh I think it's called the indie hack, which is an in, which is like an indie hack of the black hack, uh, but it but, how but deep do these hacks go? Oh, it's hacks on hacks. Um, it uh, it has the basically it has the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Um, right. As these three, um, you know, elemental beings who watch over the world, and then when you die, they'll have missions for you, or like they'll like, like they'll they'll send you back, but changed in exchange for something. So it's kind of like a, almost like a revolving door, yeah, mechanic. But like fair play, like at that point, like 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 you become more and more bound to forces beyond your control. That's that's interesting. That's more fun than just dying. Yeah, and like especially in D and D dying, where it's mm. just all it is is a very expensive transaction. Oh, it's so boring. Just like well, you can't play while we walk while we walk to the nearest temple. You and, can't uh, you can't play while we sell enough goats <laughs> to get some powdered diamonds to bring your corpse back to life. Yeah, not cool. Chris, Chris, I've got another question for you. Oh, have you? Yeah, actually, you know what? Ask me a question. All right, Huey Tonto asks, "What are some of your favourite magicless games?" Hmm. Now, when I saw um, this, I struggled to think of a magicless game. Let's have a. Um, I don't think I own it. Uh, Paranoia. There's no magic in that. There you go. That's near enough technology. Yeah, sufficiently advanced technology, and there are also mutants. Yeah. Let's have, let's have a quick look at the old RPG shelf, shall we? Spin round. I'm going to pick the one book I have without magic in. Okay. It's not, it's not the one book, but it's the one I can see. And it's also one of my favourite non-magical RPGs, which is the Leverage RPG. Yes. That does heists very well. It's got lots of pictures of all the nice people from Leverage in it. Yeah, modern um, mundane. Modern mundane. Well, yes, mundane. Like, like, like you're, you're, you're um, super uh, skilled people, but you're not wizards. Superheroes or anything. Yeah, for sure. The great thing about magic is it means that you don't have to explain why things are. Yeah. And it also uh, gives you the tremendous opportunity to write content. Yeah, because you can be as weird and wacky as you want. I mean, there yeah. are a lot of RPGs that are very swords of the sword and sorcery thing. But, like, and like uh, I've got the, what they've got a bit of sorcery at the back. Yeah, like the, like like the One Ring. Um, yeah, Lord, if yeah. you think about it, Lord of the Rings is so low magic as to be almost zero magic. Well, Gandalf doesn't really do any spells, yeah. Yeah, um, got, um, but magic spread. exists yeah. in the world. You see, I like that. 
And like, and like, you're looking at like, you know, your um, uh, der Schweizer, or however it's pronounced. Sorry, we've actually, we've actually got German listeners now. I realise. Um, yeah. Deich, I'll, I'll say I'll say it in a, in a crisp English accent. Die Schwarzer Auger. Um, and therefore I can't be accused of saying it in a funny German voice. Which translates to the black eye, dark eye, the dark eye. I think it was just. Is what they about, call is what they call a, it in the English uh, translation. It's, it's a so. game about eye damage. <laughs> But <laughs> getting punched right in the eye. <laughs> You're already six, one to three left, four to six right. Yeah. Um or like um your Simba Room Simba Room? Like your sort of big dark fantasy go and get shanked in the woods. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean um, Shadows of Esteron as well is Yeah, yes, Shadows. Very low magic, but it has occultism. Mm. Um and it has ritual and it has hedge hedge magic kind of but like and, a lot of it can be explained by these are actually healing herbs yeah like like you could easily write your way around it as coincidental magic yeah but it's still not technically magic less yeah however magicless game so far we've got leverage we've also got fiasco which is settingless yeah, um, yeah you, ca- you can't include a generic system like brp is technically magicless if you play in a magicless setting well how about skullduggery a role-playing game, which I'm sure you've forgotten exists. Yeah, that's a political hack, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. It's Corporate. a um, it's it's supposed to recreate the atmosphere of Yes Minister. Yeah, and um, I think that like, like there's a, there's a hack of it. There's there's a version of it called the Yes Wing, which is Yes Minister cross the West Wing. Okay. Um, and the idea is that you have um, it's it's a game of witty comebacks in that those witty comebacks are pre-written for you. By the game, <laughs> and you have to sort of veer yourself around into a situation oh, where lovely. you say them. It's a, it, it seems a quite interesting idea, but the 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 deal with that is, I mean, much, much like leverage is about a heist and people doing a heist and flashing back and forward, etc. Um, Skullduggery is about trying to recreate um, in the thick of it the West Wing, um, to a lesser extent, uh, sitcoms which are like almost like like peep show, like 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 almost like cringe based sitcoms. Yeah, there's an element of that as well. Yeah, and I, I think play this now. I think there's um, well, I'll, I'll lend it to you next time you come over. Um, I think there's a if you if you're not doing magic, you have to make the game about something really impo- like really focused. Yeah. Otherwise, you tend to sort of. Uh, otherwise, it's just people doing things, and it's not very exciting. Yeah, I mean, like One Ring is about survival, essentially. It's Should about also. travel and surviving that, mm. which is interesting, mm. and especially against a backdrop of magic, because you don't have that that clout that no, magic it, gives you. But it exists. But and it like, does exist. And like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we had Lamber spread? Yeah. R- rather than, like, we've been eating this same orc's leg for the last week, and yeah. he's getting very upset. <laughs> he is moaning... Um, we've also got the second RPG I ever wrote called Reckless. Not Reckless. What's it called? Wreckful. I'll get that. Hang on. Arbitrary. It's called. Uh, arbitrary. As I couldn't think of a title, so I gave it an arbitrary title, which is yep. arbitrary. If you can imagine what a little wanker I was at the age of eighteen. <laughs> um, I uh, I wrote a game called Arbitrary, which has no magic in it, and it sucks. <laughs> just, just awful. Don't touch it with a barge pole. It's just hot dog shit of a game. Don't go anywhere. I think it's still available online. You could probably track it down if you were Sick. super keen. Yeah, it's just put it up on the website. Oh god, yeah, maybe. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. Ask me. What are your favourite ways to award experience points? Asks Lianodel. Lianodel. Lianodel or Ianodel. Ianodel. Ian Odell asks, what are your favourite ways to award experience points? Uh, not to. Oh, you're doing it wrong. Sorry, did you want me to do it in the voice? Um, uh, actually, yeah. No, I, I meant that you're, you're doing experience points wrong, but, but answer it in the voice. Ahem. To not to. That's not the voice. I'm doing a different voice. Riddly D and riddled experience points. I don't I, like to award experience points. Why don't you like experience points? 
because for two reasons one i have to sit there and calculate experience points let's let's assume that experience points means any sort of experience points in the game not mathsy D actual experience points which no one does well i like I like no one actually award... does that do they i'm sure they do because i tend toward levels yeah rather than experience points mm. i use the i use the story and like it seems like you should get a level here. Yeah, that makes sense. Like you've done a short adventure, you've you've cleansed a level of the dungeon. Congratulations, level up. I played in a game of three point five where we actually had experience points, and so we and so we legit scrubbed around outside of outside of town uh, town to find some lizard men we could duff up to get to the next level. Amazing. <laughs> well, I ran I ran um, the Sunless Sea mega campaign. Back in yeah, the day, many, many moons ago, and this was in the time where each gold piece also gave you XP. Yeah, so you, they were at Presumably one point by eating them. Yeah, they were at one point literally looking down sofa cushions <laughs> to see if they find because somebody was like two XP off a level. <laughs> that's brilliant. Like that's such a bad way of doing it. I learned I learned my favourite method of giving XP. I learned from a man called James Moran, who was a dick, <laughs> like a real asshole. I like James Moran. I I, I think he would be first to say that he was a real asshole. Yeah, he'd be proud. Um, he um, he was my probably my first GM. I think like he and Chris. I started gemming games for me in the same week. And Chris was very laissez-faire and understanding and um, welcoming to new players. And James um, was welcoming to new players up until the point I had to try and make a character. Which point? Which point? He sort of let me do that three-hour process for myself. We're playing Slay Industries. Uh, a good starter RPG. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I think like you get you get um, 130 points, and there are over um, 250 places to put them. So, you know, crack on, Grant. Yeah, sort that out. Yeah, anyway, James uh James for all of his all of his all of his problems, um, had a brilliant method of doing XP, which was blag for XP. And everyone got XP for turning up. And so it's slay industry, so you're dealing with like you know, like a few points. Think of it like World of Darkness rather than hundreds of points of XP. Yeah. Um Everyone got XP for turning up. Um and at the end of the game, you would uh, everyone everyone went around the table and said something which another player did that they liked, and then if that player uh, uh, if the group was like, "Yeah, that's pretty cool," then that player got XP. You couldn't you couldn't elect yourself to get something. Obviously, I didn't realize that in my first session, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it meant that after what was a fairly like crunchy by the numbers counting individual bullets sci-fi game. At the end, we basically had a bit of a group hug session where we said, oh, I really like this bit of role-playing you did. Yeah, see, that's lovely. That's a mm. really nice way of doing it, and it works really well with those systems where you only get one or two XP. I've, I've managed to find a way to hack it into um, D&D. Oh, yeah? So they've got, you know, they've got Inspiration there. Mm-hmm. So Inspiration is a mechanic in 5th Ed, which lets you roll 2d20 and pick the higher as long as you have it, and you get it by role-playing. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a state you can enter and then spend. And I have expressly said, I will not be watching for inspiration. And also, you can't ask for inspiration for yourself. So if another player does something you, you want, point at them and tell me you want to give them inspiration. Oh, that's nice. Because I always forget, because it, like, it's, it's, a, it's a cracking mechanic, but it feels so story gamey over D&D. It does feel like it, they've, they've duct-taped it to the side of, a, of existing yeah. systems. And like it functions, but it just doesn't intuitively roll off the rest of the game. Yeah, exactly. So I'm entrusting it to my players. <laughs> when you say entrusting it to your players, you're putting the, the burden on them. Solely putting the burden on them. Yeah. Um, I am... I am entering. They are currently on level two of a dungeon, and I've never really done a dungeon crawl before. They're fun. They are fun, actually. Yeah, like they're they're all they're all little puzzles, except they're puzzles that I've designed. So generally, I've just put a scorpion under something, <laughs> or or like you walk you walk through a room, and then the walls just light up saying crabs, 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 and a load of crabs drop from the ceiling. Yeah, if you're playing like a, a standard D and D dungeon of three orcs, four orcs, five orcs, and then the next they're, room? they're a little. <laughs> Seven orcs. Yeah, then uh, they're they're a little more tedious. But when you yeah. when you craft it yourself, there's a real sense of accomplishment. Mm. Yeah, for sure, and and it's fun, and also like um, 
it's nice, it's nice to sit there and sort of generate random monsters and then work out why they'd be in the dungeon. Yeah. That's kind of a that's kind of a fun gag to do. Alright, give me a question. We're powering through him today. We are, which is why I'm going back to Hui Tonto, who has an add on oh. question. Oh, I see. What are some worlds that would be more interesting without magic? Oh, um What if you took the magic out of an existing game? Um I don't think any world's more interesting if you take magic. Maybe I'm being really limited in that, but I'm struggling to think of a situation where I'm like, what if we took wizards away? Wouldn't that be fascinating? I'm thinking things like Call of Cthulhu would be would be really interesting. Ah, so so like you can't summon stuff. So there's so so no so so it's more um, CSI than it is. I'd definitely be Call down with, with like taking spells out of Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, that never really quite sat right for me. Spells should be something that happened to you rather than something you do. Yeah, I mean they the way they handle it is quite nice. Like it's yeah. they're hugely expensive things to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, Ars Magica. <laughs> it's the game about it's the game about about medieval peasant um, management at that point. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Now. What other like unknown armies? Okay, so Harry Potter. <laughs> it's just your third year at school. No, it's Harry Potter, but but that's the thing they have to claim it's all magic, so it's all like really complicated, like stage magicianry. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a they're learning of, card tricks. Yeah, uh, so I uh, uh, one of our one of our finest patrons, a man called Sean Smith, is um is a magician and like. The, he, we, 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 we had dinner last week, and we, we, we he, he, he and I mates, and we were chatting about um, uh, how magicians work because he is a magician. And he was saying that the main way you can succeed at magic is by putting so much effort in, no one would believe you put in that much effort. <laughs> <laughs> so that for Harry Potter. Oh, I like that. That's charming. In the, in the in the in that you're setting up uh, an Alhamora spell like three days in advance and bribing um, witnesses and that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a got, lot of that's a lot of pre-planning. Have you got any games that would be improved by taking magic out? I think I'm on the same boat as you. As I think, yeah. I don't think that necessarily you need to take magic out to be left with an interesting game. No, sorry, I, I, don't, I don't think like I don't think that's the argument. I, I'm trying to think: is is it possible to make a game more interesting by removing magic and not replacing it with something equally weird? I, think I it's don't possible. Know to, I, yeah, I, just, I don't know how to do it. I think it might require better writers than us. I think you just need to you need to have something that's got a solid base. Like as I say, Call of Cthulhu, because you've mm. still got that investigative base. And like, and magic you can strip magic must... straight out of that. And so, so what, what does that leave you? Like, do, do, do the creatures still come to Earth? Well, no, because you, they, you sort of take out, take out take out the monsters out of Call of Cthulhu. Then right, you're so... left with you're left with people, and you're left with dangerous cults. What are they worshipping? Gods. Oh, okay, right. So, so, so we've still got, like, Yogg-Sothoth and that. No, they don't even have to exist. Ah, they can okay. still be crazy nut jobs. That's true. That makes sense. Okay, well... And it's, it's you've still got an investigative game. You just don't have cursed tomes that drive you mad. I don't think you need magic in games for it to be fun, to answer Huey's third question. <laughs> no, uh, I, just, I don't think you need magic. I think that I think that far too often we rely on it, and by we I mean you and me as games designers. Yeah, well, uh, games designers as a whole. Yeah, well, I think that it's it's a very easy way of getting something exciting in there, and it also lets you um, play around with something above the norm, super mundane, as it were. And that's mess kind with of the cool. weird. Yeah, it lets you mess with the weird. Also, it lets you mess with the world. So it, it, it lets you, it lets you if, if you fully understand the mechanics of a world, it lets you then tinker with those. Yeah, so you wouldn't want that, right? Yeah, but I think that primarily what, what magic does is, it, is it's fantastical and it opens up plots. It opens up exciting things. So like a fireball is no different. Like if if you've got a fireball in a set in a system where there's rocket launchers, then that is functionally mechanically a rocket launcher that no one knows you've got. Yeah, they're equivalent. Um, but where but like if you're if you're dealing with say featherfall in a in a in a uh, setting where you don't have uh, anti gravity belts, 
that's much more interesting because yeah. what that's doing is giving you additional scene framing. It's giving you additional options and tools to work around problems and to bring into scenes. And I think that if we look at something like Leverage or we look at something like Skullduggery, what you're doing there is you're taking the uh, the ingenuity and the wonder of magic and you're pushing that energy instead into in, into aggressively scene framing and aggressively focusing your game so it's about something uh, specific which is satisfying and fun to watch. Exactly that. Exactly that. Well done, mate. Well said, Mr. Howard. <laughs> Pat on back. Pat on back. My question time it is now. Good. It is. Do I have to keep asking these ones from Reddit? Can I ask the fun ones? You can answer. You can ask any ones you want, sir. Yay. What creepypasta or urban legend would you most want to turn into a one-shot? And this is from Wurzel. Huh. I know what my answer is. I think I know what your answer is as well. Because yeah. you talk about it all the time. Yeah, what is it? The elevator game. It's the elevator game. And the mysterious disappearance of Eliza Lamb. That's the one where somebody was found in a water tank. So what, yeah, she's real. She exists. Yeah. So just to explain to the listener, the elevator game is a it's a it's a urban legend popular in Japan, I believe, in that you get into an elevator and you push a certain combination of buttons, and like generally there's some sort of test. Like at some point, someone without a face will get into the elevator and say something, and you mustn't respond, or you must respond. And, you know, it's all different. And yeah. then you and then when you get out at a certain floor, it allows you to travel into different dimensions or to or or, or to meet strange creatures and that sort of thing. Um, and Eliza Lamb is a uh, the Black Tates podcast. I have an, ep- an excellent episode on this, but also it's you know it's all over the internet. Um, she was a perfectly normal person, from what I could tell, um, who who, su- who suddenly started behaving very weirdly. And like there's 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 um, the last known footage of her is her walking into and out of an, an, an elevator and pushing buttons and looking around as though she, as though she could see someone. And then her body was found in the in a hotel's um, water tank a couple of days later. Yeah. Super confusing. Uh, it's fascinating. Like, no one's super sure what happened to her. Um, aside from the fact that she drowned in... Probably drowned herself? Possibly, yes. Yeah, which is interesting. And so the elevator... Like, because it's got that sort of real-world edge to it, super interesting. And also, I like the idea of having... Um, like, there's something weird about escalators already. Like, there's... There's very few other situations where we where we go and stand in a machine which we operate ourselves to, 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 to move us around. Yeah. Like cars, I guess, but there's like, there's more control. I feel in a car. Yeah, there's also vision. Yeah, windows and like trains have windows and stuff, and you're very much trusting the lift. Yeah, you're very much point. assuming that it's going to work the way you think it does. There's something quite Schrodinger about it. Yeah. In the I don't know whether I'm coming out of this lift alive or dead, and that and that's um. That for me is kind of fun, to, and, and and also to think that like there's there's codes you can hack using the magic of a lift. You can get into a, a world which doesn't quite exist. I think that's lots of fun. Well, it's it's the the <clears throat> interest of the mundane affecting the occult. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think that's fun. Like the, the whole postmodern magic idea as well. Yeah, yeah. It's about the the world that you interact with somehow having mm. meaning and symbolism. Yeah, that that works beyond that. Ha- having the occult as something which is. It, which, which is extant and changing, rather than something which is old, which is hackable. Yeah, with like like the reason why salt is the reason why salt is powerful is because salt was expensive. Yeah, from what I can tell, and also oh, you know what? Well, that's 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 a vast simplification. Sure, yeah, vast it's case. it's expensive and um, it cured wounds and cured yeah. meat and yeah. But like the the urban legends I I really like are the ones that everybody knows. Like not everybody knows about Eliza Lamb. No, that's um, Mine are things like Bloody Mary. Yeah, Bloody Mary's cool. Um, and uh, that that one house that every town has that people think is haunted. The spooky house. You know, those sorts mm-hmm. of things that are so mundane that they're almost forgotten. Yeah, oh, I understand. And But, but, but it, it, it turns out, actually, for yeah, people. Like, many people have... have Done the Bloody Mary thing of talking to talking to a mirror. You know what? I am I am a very, I am a staunch atheist. I am not a I'm not superstitious in any way. But there is no way in hell you will get me to say Bloody Mary into a mirror three times in a dark room at midnight. Exactly. It I, will simply not occur. I will not do that. I don't I, I don't believe in it. But it's not worth taking the risk. I don't like mirrors. <laughs> Why is that? I hate them. They they creep me out. 
I'm into mirrors because I get I get to see myself. You get to see your beautiful, beautiful self. <laughs> but there's so many myths and urban legends about mirrors, yeah, and about the the power they hold and about that that they just there's something ba- in there in the back of my juju, head, man. Yeah, in the back of my head, it just goes, nah, I don't like them. Nah. No, I don't like it. It's a, just it's why a, I always um... look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I've not I've not looked in the mirror since 2007. I assume that's what I still look like. <laughs> Sometimes I catch my reflection in cars before I turn and run. <laughs> and God forbid I ever get a medicine cabinet in the bathroom. Mm. Like that that's just an automatic there's somebody going to be standing behind you. That's going to happen. <laughs> How are you going to turn that into a one shot then? Uh um, you going to turn bloody mary into a one shot. Uh a sleepover? Mhm. Um, and dares. Actually, you know what would be really fun is having having a game like a one shot game focused around uh, like the sleepover in the in the craft. Mm. Is it the craft? The witch the witch film? Yeah, where they try and do the, where they do the the lifting people with two fingers. Yes, yes, and that, but it gets more and more, you know, occult up. until it, un, until it turns out actually you can do magic. Fuck you, Huey Tonto. There's magic in this game. <laughs> No, urban legends. Are, if nothing else, they're an amazing source of plots. Yeah, and like I, I quite like the ones that are fairly, like fairly like banal. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get into those ones. I like, or like, or like waking up and waking up and one of your kidneys is gone, that sort of thing. And I think I think that, that, that there's a lot of fun. Like you, you, you can take those and then just move them one step on. Yeah, just slide it over into, into the weird town. Yeah, I mean it's kind of weird waking up with one kidney anyway. Yes, but there's but, yeah. one thing of you know, you know what, organ sorry, thieves. Waking up with three kidneys. There you go. Made it worse. There you are. That's the fun. Found the fun. <laughs> or instead of suture marks, it's tooth marks binding you. Ask me a question, big horse. I will ask you a question as soon as I can find one. Mm-hmm. From Reddit, Lupni. I have a real problem with Reddit names. Lupni. Lupni. Asks classes that feel really distinct versus the freedom of classless customization. Not really a question, more of a statement. Yeah, but well, interesting. It's not, really, it's not even a statement. It's no, not, it's not. It's not really the, the, the verb required there. But classes when I that was, feel distinct versus freedom of classless what customization. When I was a young man, I used to like classless systems. I thought they were better. Yeah, because I was like <laughs> classes. Classes are for dorks. I want to have freedom of, of, of expression in my role-playing games. Whatever, granddad. Yeah, and then I started writing games and realised how fucking hard it is. <laughs> uh, it's significantly easier to put a class in there. And that that can just tell you so much about your world and your game and focus like focus your play sessions and shit like that. Uh, it also, it's also much easier to balance. So much easier to balance. By putting classes in. Um, you don't end up with things like resources and all the darkness, which like you, which lets you buy out of any problem as a starting level character. Yeah. Um, it also means that we were chatting about silhouettes um, in Team Fortress Two a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. And so by having classes, it means you can very clearly say, "Oh well, we've got a fighter. I know how this fight is going to act. I know, I know what to do with them. If I meet them, I know how to behave around them. I, I've got a rough understanding of their capabilities, rather than." Um, like, like, do you remember the Secret World? When we yes. Were playing that, yeah. and you look, you can look at someone and have no idea what their character is. Yeah, I think for me the big thing about classes is that it gives you excellent niche protection. Yes, and just, niche, just niche protection is a huge thing in games mm. that is often forgotten. If Talk to us about niche protection. Each ca- each character I will have. The person doesn't know what this is. Each character potentially has a niche role that they can fulfil. Yeah. So, for instance, Rogue's primary role is to backstab things, mm-hmm. but their niche is lockpicking and traps, sneaking, sneaking those sorts Thiefing. of things. Yeah. Nobody else, if you look at the classes, really has that that niche. No. Copied. Like you can, you can, you can cover that gap. You can cover that gap if it's missing by just yeah. by, by like by giving the paladins contemporary hit points and asking them to run in. <laughs> but, yes, or a twelve foot pole, the classic. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I, I always go for eleven because I'm efficient. Fair. Um, I think, and and like, and like, and you look at like, um, like bards have the social niche. Yeah, and wizards have the ah. Oh, perhaps I can solve this 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 magical riddle niche. 
and fighters get hit in the face a lot. <laughs> P- pity the fighter. Pity the poor fighter. Less than. Like, they're one of the four classes that exist in the game. And you go, you, you've got, like, miracles from God, miracles from not God, sneaking, stealing, backstabbing, being cool, and, you know, dr- and dramatic and exciting and getting in places. And then, what, what's your job? Well, I've got a shield. I'm only carry the shield around and put it in front of other people. Does that hurt? Oh, it hurts tremendously. <laughs> I am in nigh constant pain. I am. I am on a cocktail of painkillers that would kill a lesser man. <laughs> Why I play fighters? Yeah, you do like fighters. I, I think that there's like like classes get a bit of a bad rap because as like and also especially as people are designing their first fantasy heartbreaker, they're designing their first role playing game, and they think, oh, actually, I want to try and make something which lets me build the precise character I want to build. And I think that you can you can do a lot better by by like having a class, encouraging reskinning, encouraging bolt on classes, and like thing and like abilities that you plug in, which you give access to, rather than giving everyone access to everything from the start, which means you end up with really muddy characters. You also get um, option paralysis. Yes, of if course. you're if you're if you're throwing a character sheet across the table at a completely new player, like here, there are five hundred things to make just the character you want. Yeah. What sort of things can I make? Anything. Anything. Uh, I want to make a fighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I think by 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 lowering the number of choices you have as a new player, then you certainly make that so much easier, and also so much easier to role play in that situation. Yeah, and I mean one of the things we do, we do in our RPGs is do we is to gate things a little bit. Go on. So. There's stuff that's not accessible at character creation, but is accessible mm. later. Kind of like prestige classes in D and D. Yeah. Um, uh, that are very much that uh, distinct class flavor, mm. but that doesn't immediately overpower your choices early on. Yeah, you can grow into it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same in like Pathfinder. Don't you? Don't yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Like, once you're hitting tenth level, then you've got really evocative stuff coming in but you have to sort of you got to eat your vegetables before you get to your dessert as yeah it were. exactly I'm going to ask you a question do it what is the most unplayable RPG system you can design this um... one comes in from Owen Owen supplemented this with a comment saying that he and a friend um, come up with the worst possible mechanics of role playing games throw them at each other and then it's the other person's job to make it f- viable as a system Okay. So I think we should do that. D6, it, target number 20. That's doable. Okay, let me have a think. D6, target number 20. So what you're dealing with is you have uh, your stats multiply the result on the dice. Or you're adding between 15 and 20. <laughs> no, I kind of like the idea that you multiply. So your your stat will be like 1, 2, 3. Mm-hmm. And, and like, so, and so, you're rolling. Um, well, it needs to be more than that to get to twenty, but yeah, it would be. Yeah, um, but you could do that in some. Can I have a d six pool, or is it just one d six? No, you can you can have d six pool if you want. Oh well, there we go. That's that's that, that, that's a little bit easier. I, I I have to try and get over twenty. Um, that, that, that could be um, my my worst mechanic is the stock market instead of dice. <laughs> Remember, your rolls may go up as well as down. <laughs> um, so Make it's it linked, suck. To, linked to the current stock market. No, the fantasy stock market. Yeah, the current one. No, sorry, I meant like the like the current FTSE one hundred number. Yeah, yeah, Nasdaq, or the Nasdaq all that sort or, of thing. Yeah, the other ones. Uh, well, there was a system in I want to say Dragonlance. Okay. Where the phases of the moon affected ah. spellcasting quite heavily. Oh, and it was like the current phase of the moon in the real world. Yeah, well, yes, that's what you used, but it was also okay, the right. phase of the moon in the right. Thing, you just happened you rolled to rolled it or did yeah. whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so you could do something like that, where um, the lower the stock market is from a zero point or higher from a zero point. Mm. Sorry, I'll rephrase that. The more it's got it has shifted down. up or down, mm-hmm. 
that is taken as a as an effect on your rolls. I like if it went up, you become more wizard, and if it goes down, you become more barbarian, <laughs> more bear to criminal. <laughs> yeah, basically, wizard barbarian. Actually, what about barbarian as as the next honey heist hack? That works. You got more two bard skills: or more bard and barbarian. That I think that covers it almost precisely the same. Although worryingly, there could be bard and Aryan. That's a different situation. That's a different one. game. Well, what's it? It's pronounced barbarian. Oh, okay. So it would be bard and barbarian. <laughs> I heard bard barbarian. Barbarian. No, it's a very different game. Yeah, it's a very very different game. Um, hit hit me with another terrible mechanic. Okay, let me think. Gambling on horse races. So, okay. So I used to go to um, Australian bars uh, to role play, and many Australian bars have a gambling section in them. Do you recall this when we went to the? Pub? I do. Yes. They have. They have the pokies. Um, <laughs> which I I don't ever really uh, known to refer to nipples. Yeah. But uh, the pokies are apparently some sort of specialised gambling zone you can go to uh, and drink your um, Victoria Bitter and engage in some um, games of luck and chance. And um, they used to have uh, computerised chariot racing from my presume. That <laughs> sounds fantastic. Yeah. How big some, were these things? From somewhere in the east. Some, somewhere Asian, I believe, manufactured this stuff. And they broadcast it, and you'd bet on these on these on these um, randomly generated horses. Amazing! Um, and they had odds and stuff. So I think you could probably just like basically play a standard game of um, you know. No, sorry, not a standard game of Dungeons and Dragons. We we lean too heavily on that. You're playing your sort of game of fiasco. You're playing your your world of darkness. Your your sort of introspective, brooding moodily on rooftops, broody moody roofs, and you and if if your horse comes in first. Um, a good thing happens to you. Like uh, you learn of a mysterious benefactor who has given you money, and, and if, if your horse comes in like in in, in like in the lower fifth, um, your wife loses you. <laughs> Second, success with complications. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, my, um, I think I think we're drawing too heavily on on different sources of random number generators. Yeah, I think we need to think of something else. Um, so mine is yelling. Uh, that would be you need a you need a decibel app on your phone. <laughs> you have to hit certain decibels, and that's that's and, and you'll set you'll set decibel DCs. Oh, I see. So you've got to yell really loudly. You got to, well potentially, but also like sneak or, checks. You, you've got to quietly. you've got to be incredibly quiet and keep it under a certain level at all times. Oh, that's you see that's that's more fun to me. I like that a lot. That's a fun game. Um, like Barbarian like, Rage. Having to speak very quietly. Yeah, I was like, no, they've heard you. You've gone over 40 decibels. Well, that's brilliant. Now, I guess you, you have to somehow make the GM's voice exempt from this. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Wizardry. Well, no, you just you just don't look at it when the GM's talking. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you don't need a wizard for that. <laughs> you got any more? Um, Drop one more on me. All right, a bicycle. It's not really a mechanic, is it? It's mechanical. Um, Use the I rear think... wheel as a roulette wheel. The ball would fall through. Ah, shit. I mean, like it's, it's got spokes on it, man. All right, Look. let's rephrase that. No, I've got no more. Okay. <laughs> Turns out, no. No. <laughs> What's your mechanic? Dog. Use a dog. Got a, got, a, got a dog in a box. Do you want to make a role-playing game about it? No, I want you to leave. <laughs> Do you want to open the dog? <laughs> is, is it alive? I don't know. I don't know. It's in a box. I've got a box. It might have a dog in it. Samuel asks, If two druids mate in their animal forms, can they conceive a human child? Or would they give birth to whatever species they mated, mated as? Apologies for assuming a heterosexual druid, druid couple. I would argue that yes, they can conceive a human child. Okay. I had a thing happen in my game last night. My druid turned into a spider. Okay. Giant spider. Shoots webbing. Mm Mm-hmm. What's... When she reverts to normal, where where did that webbing come from in her body? 
Was that blood? No. Hair? What was what was being used up? Mm, magic. Mm, magic. Okay, so she just got magic in there. Yeah, I get, well, because when you are shape, you gain all the glands and whatnot of... You gain all the... Glands. Yeah. You see... I think because like you use you use the you use the animal stat block for everything. So you are for all intents and purposes that animal. You, you you have the strength of a bear. You have the um, the body of a bear. You are a bear in body, not in brain or in intelligence, but in body, one hundred percent. So that's probably bear jizz that you're coming. So let's say that you are doing that, right? And so and you've been impregnated. Mm-hmm. And you are then re- you then revert to human form. I suppose the baby would revert to human form as well. Mm-hmm. Although, so, hang on, what if you fucked a bear? Then that's you... a that's a much bigger problem. <laughs> well, yes. How do you get consent from the bear? Um, well, um, well, as a druid, you can talk to beasts, so you could chat to him. Be like, "Hey, you down?" And the bear's like, "Bring it on." <laughs> that sounded like an "I don't know." Ah, sorry, sorry, sorry. That like, what it meant to what it meant to say was rather than mm, it was like, mm, of course, there we hop go. on this, ride me like a little, ride me like a fairground pony, ride me like a massive bear, ride me like a massive bear, and so like, so you can acquire consent from the bear. Now, if two druids fuck one one male, one female, and the and the one of the druids gets pregnant, then let's assume that because they're shape shifting. And all their organs shapeshift as well. The child is, for all intents and purposes, an organ until it comes out of the body. Mm-hmm. It ha- it has the same um, heart rate as the mother until it comes out of the body. So we can assume when you shift into a bear, that baby also becomes a bear, a little bear baby, a little bear baby. Uh, when you shift into a toad, let's not ask too many questions about that. No, see that's that, that's where it gets really complicated when something into. Animals when, that don't have wombs. Yeah, so so you shape shift into a chicken. I guess you know you know when you shape shift into something and your equipment goes somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's where your baby goes. <laughs> <laughs> your baby goes to the interdimensional cloakroom where you leave your quarter staff and shillelagh. <laughs> Where's your baby in holding? In ho- yeah, it's um. I believe Learmond sorted it. it yeah, Learmond's got the shit on lock. Anyway, the problem we've got is if a druid shapeshifts into a bear, she male druid, female bear, druid shapeshifts into a bear, bears like jump on it, um, they have sex and conceive. Is that. I guess that's just a bear. That would be just a bear, yeah. That would be just a bear. It would be a bear which has your DNA. But your bear DNA? Yeah, I mean, the, the question is, if two druids mate in their animal forms, can they conceive a human child? Yeah, well, that's, The that's answer the to that, that is yeah. yes. Yes, because when you shapeshift, your fetus either shapeshifts with you or gets sent off to Learman's tiny cloakroom. Yep. We can assume that. Learman's uh, like, crash. Like Learman's crash. Like the same way, if you ate a big dinner and then turned into a little frog, you don't explode on account of your dinner inside you. Your yeah. dinner goes to Learman's extra... Dessert stomach. <laughs> <laughs> pudding tummy. That's a spell. Leoman's pudding tummy. Yeah. That makes sense. And I guess if you are a bear and you have sex with a bear and then you shapeshift back, the the semen which left you oh, this is getting a bit grim. The semen which left you is bear semen and remains bear semen. It doesn't revert to non bear semen once you like once you change back. Yeah, that, that's just logical. Because it, because if it did, you could establish a galaxy-wide communication of quantum computing using one bear, a druid, and some jizz. <laughs> yeah, you have to keep an eye on it, to, like to see when it's bear and when it's human. That's genius. Yeah, yeah, pretty clever. Just change, just shift, and change in binary. I think that's how they do it in Mass Effect. Yep, that's what the Mass Effect relays are. Ask me a question, Robo Dingo. Love, love Reddit names sometimes. Robodingo. Asks, how do I make a good one-shot? Can you say it in Robodingo's voice? How do I make a good one-shot? Oh, struth, mate. Put a, put a shrimp on the barbie. This is a dingo, isn't he? Yeah, I just didn't want to do the racist accent. I'm not racist, it's a robot. That's, that's what he sounds like. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
How did you make a good one shot? Well, you asked me, didn't you? I did, yeah. You need to think like a luchador. Yes, correct. You need to think about the mask. What? You don't need to think about the mask. Like, baby, you got to wear that mask. Um, but what you like, you need to think about. Um, or if, if not a luchador, like like you are in WWE, like you are coming out on stage and you have five seconds to get the crowd on your side. And or not on your side, as it were, like just reacting to you in some way. You have such a limited time to make, like to get your point across. That yeah. You can't afford to be coy about it. Like feel like abstract so much out, and like um, assume things of the player characters. So so let's say your investigations have led you to this place. Yeah. Right. Don't don't sort of leave them well. Where are you going to go first? And also, like if you know what they're going to do. Like, put it this way, if like if you've got an investigative scene and the investigative scene like they find the things which then take them to the next scene, if there's nowhere else they can go, don't bother with the first bit. It's okay in like in like a long game because you can use that to establish character, you can use that for niche protection, you can use that to tell stories, but blah, 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 blah. it's cool, you've got maybe three hours. So just skip to the fun part. Skip to the fun part and ha- for the love of God, have a good ending in your head. Yeah, you know what, have five and then make up a sixth. Yeah, like yeah, having a having a good possible ending, even if that ending is everything explodes. I would also recommend, uh, and this is this is going to go contrary to my normal advice. Everyone should drink. Yes, that does help. Um, because when you well, okay, so uh, honestly, all your players should drink. You shouldn't. Well, well, uh, look, mate, the game I the game that I DM a game sober is the game is, is the game that I've been taken over by a pod person, <laughs> but. You should, like like if you want to be like good dungeon mastering is effectively improvisation. Yes. Yeah. Improvisation is not improved by being drunk. It's a Man. skill. It's like golf. You're not like you're not going to golf better if you're pissed. However, you know it's also a social thing. So we hang out and tell stories. Blah, blah, blah. But if you can get your players on side, that actually you know what it depends. Depends because if you've got a really tightly plotted one shot, let's say for example four of you in a room, one gun, three bullets, go. Then you don't need to worry too much about players taking things on abstract and sort of giving you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, but if you are if you are playing fast and loose, if your players can be drunk, that's probably a good idea because they'll they'll be much more accepting of ideas and won't try and poke holes in the science. Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 the thing I was waiting for. That kind of ability to suspend disbelief is a lot yes. quicker. Yeah. Um. You want to have a. Long drawn out crackle. Uh, fry. You want to have three scenes in your head, and not necessarily where those are, but plot out three scenes, and you have Act One, Act Two, and Act Three of this mm-hmm. very short three act performance, uh, in, w- in which you explain what's going on. You make it more complicated, and then they solve the problem. Yep. And that's, don't, that's, you don't need more than that. No. Um, Chris and I were um, we were plotting out a dungeon yesterday, kind of for funsies. Yep. And um, like we, uh, one of the room just says "spooky ghost train," and it's I think it's like a ten by ten room. So presumably that's the entry to the spooky ghost train, which which then I would make up if the players yeah. went into the room. <laughs> Doesn't need to be uh, more than that. I like I like how non-planning that is. Well, like, it's some it, planning. It's some planning that I've written "spooky ghost train." But I've not got like ah. The conductor has a riddle for you. <laughs> he is eight foot three, <laughs> curled up inside the train. Oh, <laughs> come into sleeping. the train. Why would you wake me? I was sleeping. Uh, I guess you should come into the caboose. Get in my caboose. Get in my caboose. There's a skeleton there. It's a ghost train, remember? <laughs> oh, spooky. Any more advice on one shots? Not really. I mean, I think the the key to it is keep it tight. What system do you want to use? Doesn't really matter to me it's as long Wushu. as it's pre-generated characters. It's Wushu. That's what I want for a one shot. Yeah, Wushu is the easiest. But like, you can that's... run it with anything as long as it's pre-generated and people know well, the rules. Yeah, as long as people know the rules, you're fine. But if you've got to teach people the rules for a one shot, then you're putting a lot of like effort in. Yeah. For them, for them just to understand what's going on. A lot on. of so, time. Yeah. You know what? Don't don't try and run a one shot in Pathfinder if your players haven't played Pathfinder before. No. 
that sort of thing because it's so difficult. Like, guys, can I just just before we end the podcast, I want to take you over to one side for a sec. Come over here for a sec. Come over here. Listen. Uh, no, 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 no! You, you, you can come over as well. We're, oh. we're, 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 like, hey. Basically, this is, this, this is us. Hey, this is us turning to camera two. Okay. Hi, my name's Grant. This is Chris, and we're here to talk to you about Pathfinder because Pathfinder, um, Fifth Ed Dungeons and Dragons. Honestly, most World of Darkness games are the most complicated, incomprehensible shit available. <laughs> we just know them because we've been doing it for years. I I played underneath Chris as a player in a 3.5 game, and it was over a year before I learned how to level up myself. Yeah, but you are uh, fairly dense. I'm not super bright. I also I hate picking feats. <laughs> you do. You really resent it. It really, but but like I, I I sat down last night with my players, and we've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for about four months now. And I said, "Oh, it's time to level up," and I had to speak D and D for all three of them. Ah. Because they're not they're not seasoned players, and so 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 like I like we 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 turn to the level two bit. And I was like, okay, I get an action surge. What is that? I was like, oh, it's somewhere on those next two incredibly dense pages of text. Do you want me to look it up for you? Because <laughs> I can read D and D, and you can't read D and D. You know, I can yeah, speak your language. Yeah, you've got the vocabulary. However, it's hugely complex, and there's so many spells, and there's so many rules for like pushing someone over. Even spells are just... like half the book. More. Like that, like, like that, and there's more books of spells released every year. Spell creep. The issue is, there's so much for a player to understand going into that that it's horrible as a first experience to try and understand what's going on. So, don't try and assume someone can play Pathfinder if they're doing a one shot. No. You have to be very, you have to be very good at teaching things in a way that I've, I'm sure is shit. Not no. Whereas you can teach Wushu in a matter of seconds. Yes, I could teach you Wushu before the podcast ends. I won't, but just please download Wushu and give Dan Bain some money. It's a very good... Um, it, it is effectively a story game that doesn't bother telling stories, and I love that. <laughs> There's something pure about that. It's a story game about jumping sideways. Yeah. Let's let's stop the show, Chris. Let's reel it in. Thank you so much for listening to this, the 52nd episode of Hearty Dose Friends. My name is Grant Howitt. This has been Chris Taylor. If you like what we've done, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hearty dice friends you can also get in touch with us on twitter at hdf podcast or send us an email at hearty dice friends at gmail.com also please pre-order spire please 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 search spire rpg and then buy it uh because it's really good it's really good we finished we've got the character sheet Ah! um we love you we have a specially crafted message of love, which I'm going to. So I've, I've got I've got my velvet I've got my velvet satchel here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my velvet satchel, it's it's covered in a in in, in a rich burgundy leather. Uh, so, sorry, it's in a rich burgundy velvet with leather straps. I'm just going to open, open noise, open noise, and I'm going to open it here. And I've got a specially crafted message of love. Now, what I do every week, um, uh, several times a week, I go out to to the woods and sit and be amongst nature. You know, like um, what's his name? Um, the bear we were talking about earlier. Yeah, all that American lad, the poet. Whitman, Walt Whitman, I go out there. Um, and I write beautiful messages of love. And like I just commune with nature. I think about you, listener. Uh, and I put on, I get out a big feather quill and a pot of ink and a lovely thick letter writing book. Classy. And I write down, yeah, it's very classy. And I write down a message of love. And I'm going to hand this one over to Chris to read. Oh, thanks. It's going to push this, push this across the table in the studio that we may, share. May I make the noise? <laughs> Thank you. What, is it, what does it say, Chris? I'm desperately trying to think. I, I, no, no, you don't need to think. It's all written down. Have you not got your reading glasses on? No, I can't see a damn thing. Hang on, hang on. Let me get you your 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 ivory rimmed reading glasses from, from from the special case of reading glasses we also have in this office. I can't think of anything. Here, I got you your glasses. Good. Put them on. I'd love to. I can't think of a damn thing, Grant. Give me back the paper. Take it. Make the noise. I haven't got any paper. Oh. That's all I've got. I think that paper's broken. Yeah, you want it? That's that's shattered. Uh, it, okay, it says you have a nice bum. Okay, that's the whole thing. 
That's what it says. Um, thank, uh, you know what? I'm sure you do. I'm sure your bum's great. Uh, thank you for listening to this. And guys, have a really low energy ending. Let's just Bye. shuffle off the end of this, shall we? Thank you for listening. Please give us some money. Bye. Well, that was shit. <laughs> I could not think of anything. The second you said it, I'm like... Oh, um, I'm sorry. Hats. <laughs> I tried to give you as much time. I no, I know. Them. Like I saw it coming, and I, <laughs> I just panicked. Oh, I, you know, I'll, I'll do another message of love, because that, that, was, that was rather a downer. Listener, we love you. We have... I'm going to say stolen a flying castle because they just they just float around so they're really easy to steal. We just tied a rope to one and walked off with it, and we carried it across the mountains. We brought it here, in which uh, we and you, so all three of us, can live. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. Now the wizard who owned it is angry and has cursed us with some stuff. So there's going to be some light daring do along the way. But obviously, I hope. That you're down with that, I reckon. You know that's, that's that's why we brought you in because you you you've got a good sword arm, and you were cunning, quick of mind, and good with spells. Uh, what sort of role are you going to take, Chris, in the castle defence? Uh, I'm going to be the wizard's familiar. Um, well, like what, what on, on the what the, the yes, no, do? I'm going to I'm going to side with the wizard because I I don't think I, I can win this fight. I side with the fucking wizard. I stole the castle for us. Yeah, but he's got more castles. That's true. Okay, well, looks like it's just me and you, listener. Chris has polymorphed himself into a snack. 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 Uh, or, a, or a toad? What, what, what sort of familiar are you? Are you just a Chris? <laughs> yeah. Hello. It's the, world, it's the world's largest familiar. Hello. Please stop patting me on the head. It's very embarrassing. Do you need any spells memorised? I'll go and apply that touch spell. Oh. <laughs> You're significantly slower than most wizards. <laughs> Just sort of ambling over to do it. Hang on. Terribly sorry about this. <laughs> Just like, oh no, 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 oh, no! You made me ruin my phone. You gave me shocking grass, but I was on Reddit. No, you dick. Oh man, I don't know why. I don't know why fantasy Chris has a deeper voice than normal. Chris. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, bu- a bugger. I, was, I guess uh, I'm really tall. It's all gone very wrong. I'm trying to do an thank, impression of myself. Thank you, listener. We love you. Goodbye. Bye.